This is episode 14 of the History of Podcast. I'm Robert. And I'm Emma. And today we will be talking about the history of football, if you couldn't tell by the name of this episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah. First, we would like to promote our YouTube channel. It is called The History of, uh, just the history of, it's the same as the podcast title. Mm-hmm. We do, we are providing a link in the show notes. And we also have an Instagram. It's called The History of Podcasts, all one conglomerate of words, all lowercase. Link is also in the show notes, and you should totally check it out. Yeah, and uh, before we start our episode, we have the egg carton count. We do. Uh, today's egg carton count is, is it 19? I believe it's 19. I, we, I believe so. I think we didn't count before the episode, but I, I'm pretty sure it's 19. I'm pretty sure it's 19. Alrighty. Our egg carton army is expanding. <laughs> well, football season is coming up. You know, we're UT fans. You know, not University of Texas, University of Tennessee. You know, uh, UT helped set the world record for the highest attendance football game. Heck yeah. It was at uh, Bristol Motor Speedway. It was uh, Tennessee versus Virginia Tech. Tennessee won that game. Um, and the attendance was, for the record, was... 130,045 people. That's that's a lot. So I heard the view was terrible, but it was like, it was just to set a record. Yeah. Well, here we go. We're not really into sports as much as we're into history. We're all about history. The first football-like sport game came up in ancient Greece. I feel like all things culture came from ancient Greece. Even Greek yogurt. We're just going to leave it at very, that. Very, very cultured. It was called... Episkyros? Is that how you say it? I think it's Episkyros. Robert's the most cultured one out of the two of us, as you can see. The Romans also had a game closely related to this called Harpistum, but there isn't much documentation beyond engravings. Uh, yeah. Regardless, Episkyros ran along the lines of something of rugby and football. All we know is that it involved sides and tackling. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about the history of rugby, uh, just because it is the father of football. And rugby originated from soccer, uh, soccer, football, European football. Does that make soccer the father father of rugby and the grandfather of football? Potentially. I mean, I suppose so. Yeah. I mean, it's we're, we're dragging out the metaphor too far. It's a football connection. You know, we know... It came from rugby, a place called Rugby School in Warwickshire, England. However, legend has it that in 1823, during a game of football, soccer, a player named William Webb Ellis just picked up the ball and started running, seeing if anyone would tackle him. Like, in, not, the middle, like in the middle of a soccer game. This is... I have so much respect for this man. Yeah, I know. Wow. I'm not quite sure how exactly this turned into an official game, but hey, that's why it's a legend. Anyway, some rules were decided upon uh, for rugby in 1863, and it became a popular sport in the UK. It was a a big college thing. Um, And, you know, this this college thing was eventually carried over to the U.S., uh, over to U.S. colleges, and replaced soccer, um, which was played as a collegiate sport in the U.S. And it was actually called association football in the U.S., but it replaced soccer around the 1870s. And I would have thought that rugby in the U.S. turned into this thing called mob, mob football, which then turned into American football as we know it. 
Merka. But that doesn't seem to be the case. It's oddly complicated how football got started and how we made the conversion from rugby to football because it actually looks like mob football got started like before rugby was brought to the U.S. And that's where things get kind of blurry as to when it first started. Yeah. We do know that it was much more prominent in the Northeast at first. Regardless, it was most likely called mob football because it was quite violent. 23 college players died playing football in 1905 alone. This was a problem, and football was somewhat controversial for its notion of being violent up until about World War I. And out of this controversy, you know, about roughness, injuries, and safety, came some components we still have uh, today, uh, like the line of scrimmage and protecting the passer. I imagine the games also, you know, broke out in fights a lot. It also probably didn't help that the rules weren't very clear either. That yeah. sounds, I'd be risky, kind of risking your life playing football back then. Yeah, but... I think the rules became more and more understood um, because in 1869, uh, Princeton and Rutgers played the first, uh, the very first intercollegiate American football game, you know, with established, somewhat established rules. However, points were still scored by kicking or by field goals, um, and touch touchdowns weren't a thing in until 1875. In fact, uh, many of the basic rules we have in football today. Um, that would just be characteristic of like, you know, the four downs, all the things like that, uh, can be attributed to a man named Walter Camp. Nobody threw the ball. There were only running plays until 1895, when, at the end of the game, one team threw the ball to try to score before the clock ran out. And they were like, hey, why hasn't anyone done that before? Yeah, and that, that uh, brings up the point, did you know that football uh, footballs didn't always have that football shape? You're right. They were made of irregularly shaped animal materials. It's leather now, but it might have been like, you know, a pig hide at first. But when they were inflated, they never turned out to be quite like a perfect sphere. They were always kind of lopsided. In fact, the ball often had to be reinflated several times in a game. Around the turn of the century, uh, they were like, you know, we, we can't really fix this. Let's let's just kind of deal with it. Um, and so the, the pointed egg-shaped football was born. <laughs> Um, and I'll note, it was still kind of squatty in comparison to today's footballs and didn't quite get that signature look until around the 1930s when it was made longer and thinner. Um, and I think it also had to do with the rise in popularity of throwing the ball because, of course, this new shape allowed players to throw further and with more accuracy. Um, and, you know, okay, this is, this is kind of somewhat random, but just sticking with the, the timeline, the first hash marks on professional football field came in 1933. Speaking of stripes, the college white stripes on footballs actually didn't have anything to do with college at first. It was for night games, and before 1956, white footballs were used for night games. The lighting must have not been very good. I mean, that's understandable. But in 1956, the balls used for night games changed to just regular balls with white stripes. Yeah, and, uh, you know, We've just talked about the football, so let's talk about some other equipment. In 1877, a student at Princeton named L.P. Smock uh, designed the very first uh, football shoulder pads. Uh, these first pads were more cushions uh, that were sewn into the jersey. But that eventually uh, evolved into, you know, the super bulky pads um, like they had in the mid to late 20th century. Um, and then, then the ones we have today. Up until the Army-Navy game in 1893... Nobody wore helmets. 
However, they weren't even required until 1939. I mean, I guess it was just a personal option before then. But even then, the early helmets were just leather caps. So, I mean, what kind of protection did that do? Kinda Not like much. The, the famous, they didn't all look like this, but you know, like the famous aviator football helmet that has like, it covers the ears and then it's just a cap. Yeah. And it's, yeah. It's better than nothing, I guess. These these caps also didn't have face masks. So some players tried to jerry-rig their own protection devices. And this is not coronavirus face masks. Face masks. These are like the cages that you see football players have in front of their faces. Um, but, you know, these first jerry-rigged face masks didn't work very well. Um, until in the 1940s, uh, Riddle patented a plastic helmet. Um Remember, plastic was a recurring theme in the last episode. Probably still not going to do the history of plastic unless you guys really want to see that, but that would be, possible. It would be very boring. Anyway, um, even the first plastic helmet didn't still didn't have a face shield. It was just like a, a, a helmet, like, I guess kind of like a scooter helmet, you could imagine. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but as things evolved, uh, there were several failed versions, you know, that, that kind of like broke like the... They had problems with the plastic, the the face mask shattering like, oh, no. as it got hit. Um, and the first successful version was Riddle's uh, BT-5 helmet. And uh, these plastic helmets could be colored. And that helped players see who was on their team, you know, just with a quick glance. Uh, so that's, that's a plus. Um, and in the 1970s, Riddle took another step in the advancement of the helmet. Such an overachiever. Um, with the HA series which has adjustable pads on the inside. So, fancy. All of this is not to mention the development of other equipment like cleats and leg pads, which were first fashioned by the players and later picked up by sportwear brands. You know, we've worn out the history of football equipment. Yeah. Yeah. Shall we talk about cheerleading? We can. Sure. Let's dive right in. The first ever cheerleader was actually a guy. His name was Johnny Campbell, and he was a student at the University of Minnesota. He led the first organized cheer routine in 1898. And before that, it was just crowd chants. Um, women started entering the world of cheer in the 1920s. Um, and in the 30s, uh, there started to be an increase of uh, cheer gear, uh, like, like pom-poms, to uh, augment the cheer. And by the 40s, uh, cheer became primarily a women-led activity. Uh, partly because there weren't many other options for women's collegiate sports. The National Cheerleading Association was founded in 1948 by Lawrence Herkimer, and he is known as the grandfather of cheerleading. By the 1960s, cheerleading had become just about as popular as it is today. Professional cheer began in, you know, 1972-1973 NFL football season with the Dallas Cowboys. From there, it only grew, and now most of the NFL teams have cheer squads. This brings up the NFL, so let's start talking about its history. Um, it was founded in 1920 in Canton, Ohio, uh, So, and that's now where the Pro Football Hall of Fame is, makes sense. At first, uh, it was called the American Professional Football Association, or AF, uh, APFA, uh, but that was changed to the National Football League in 1922, so two years after its founding. Uh, there were 14 original teams, most of which uh, were in the Midwest, so it makes sense around where it was started. And I love some of these names. Like, they had they had some weird names, like the Dayton Triangles. The Triangles. <laughs> and uh, the Decatur Staley's. I wonder 
what the triangle's mascot looked like. I guess it was just a big triangle walking I'm not, around. I'm not sure about that one. We'll, maybe. We'll never know. There was a competing league in the 1960s called the AFL, but they merged with the NFL in 1970. And that was the American Football League. Right, right. They've only been adding teams, and there are 32 franchises today. And quick aside, this whole franchise thing confused me at first, um, but I guess the way to think about it is that the NFL is an umbrella corporation, and each team is a franchise, kind of like there are Chick-fil-A or GNC or McDonald's franchises. Not quite the same, but for the sake of explaining it, I'll, I'll stick to that. The teams are independent corporations, uh, I learned as I did some more research, and the players are employees or contractual employees who have contracts to play for a certain amount of time and get paid a certain amount of money. Um, I'm sure a lot of you have heard of that. And there's a lot of a debate about the legal side of this, but of course, I'm sure all the lawyers and people in the higher-ups have got it figured out. So don't worry about it too much unless you want to be a football player or buy a football team, which is very few of you. Very expensive. You never know. It's possible. Anyway, the first Super Bowl was not until 1967, and the first winner was the Green Bay Packers. Which, I mean, come on, why wasn't there a Super Bowl? And, like, for all these other years, you would think there would be, like, this big competition where everyone wants to find who the ultimate winner is, but... Like, why why haven't they... they what did they do before that? Like, were, I don't know. Were they, you've got to figure out who the top dog is every year. I guess they just wanted to wait until 1967. I don't know. I don't know. Interestingly, the NFL regulates every tiny aspect of the football field down to the height of each printed number on the field and the width of each hash mark. Each hash mark has to be four inches wide. Wow, quite specific. It's crazy. Okay, you know the XFL? Not super familiar, but continue. Have you you heard of it? No? Okay. Well, it's actually existed since... It's it's more popular among the the sports world. Uh, Especially, it was the spring. And it's actually existed since 2000 and was founded by uh, Vince... Mick, Mick, Mick Mahan, Mick, Mick Nahan, Mick, this is, why am I struggling with this? Mick Mahan, Mick, Mick Nahan. Just confidence bro, go with it. And Dick Ebersol. Uh, and the league went off a catchphrase calling uh, the NFL the No Fun League, uh, NFL No Fun League, and has an aim of, you know, kind of spicing things up uh, with some fun rule changes. But some fans complain that they, they changed the rules too much. Um, XFL spiked in popularity this past spring, 2020. Um, Let us know what you think about the XFL versus the NFL. Just which one you like more, less, thoughts on it. We are open to just about anything. (laughs) Football is the biggest sport in America in both popularity and on the money scales. I mean, that is what it is. If you have any questions, comments, or topics you'd like to see in the future, please contact us at thehistoryof365 at gmail.com. Have a blessed day. And you've got to promise me something. Never stop learning.